Being converted is a glorious thing which everyone needs to experience. It should be understood, however, that true conversion is more than a one-time encounter by which a person is saved. Rather, it is an ongoing process that should not stop until we reach heaven. Are you ready to face the truth? Face the Truth is the weekly podcast of the Truth Church of Olathe, Kansas. Now here is your host and Bible teacher, Pastor Gregory Riggin. Thank you, Brother Goff, and thank you to everyone who's listening. I trust that today's episode will be a blessing to all of those who tune in. On last week's podcast, I pointed out that the word conversion actually means a change of heart or a transformation. I also stated that many people today consider themselves converted because they're members of a church or they've accepted Christ or they've believed on the Lord. None of these things, however, fit the definition of conversion. To be truly converted, you must be changed. Thus, true conversion is not a one-time instantaneous experience. True conversion, genuine transformation, requires a process that takes time. In light of this fact, I used last week's episode to introduce to you what I call the seven C's that surround conversion. Please remember that when I speak of C's, I'm not talking about bodies of water. Rather, I'm talking about necessary steps, all of which begin with the letter C. Also, note that I'm using the word surround. You see, I'm not talking about the seven C's of conversion, but the seven C's that surround conversion. In other words, there are seven C's that lead up to being converted and seven C's that follow it. The seven C's that lead to conversion are a call, conviction, contrition, confession, commitment, cleansing, and confidence. As I explained last week, contrition, confession, and commitment are all a part of repentance. Cleansing comes through baptism in Jesus' name. Confidence speaks of faith, believing that God will accept our repentance, honor our baptism, and respond with the one thing that actually empowers true conversion, the infilling of the Holy Ghost. That, my friends, is the moment when true conversion begins to work in us. Having gone through that, it's important that you understand what I just said. The infilling of the Holy Ghost begins to bring about conversion or transformation in our lives. There are now seven more C's which need to follow that experience in order for our conversion to be complete. The first C that follows conversion is convictions. Now, please notice I used the plural word convictions rather than the singular conviction. The latter was one of the seven C's which led us to conversion. What I'm talking about now is something that comes after we've been filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm talking about establishing heartfelt convictions which affect our day-to-day living. In Philippians 2.12, we read, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The contemporary English version says, My dear friends, you always obeyed when I was with you. Now that I am away, you should obey even more. 
So work with fear and trembling to discover what it really means to be saved. See, there are principles which we need to establish to make sure we continue to live a life that's pleasing to God. And once those principles are established, we should not be persuaded to ever abandon them. That's what convictions are. The second C, which should follow conversion, is consistency. In Galatians 5.16, Paul wrote, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. By using the word walk, the apostle made it clear that he means every day. Just a few verses later, in verse 25, he said, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Once again, showing us that this is not about getting spiritual, but rather about staying spiritual. Consistency is the key. For example, consider what Paul said about prayer in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. He said, pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean to pray 24 hours a day. It just means pray every day. Be consistent. Next in our list of C's is commitment. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4.2, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. The word faithful means always reliable to stay involved. One example is in our church attendance. In Hebrews 10, verses 25 and 26, we read, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after that we've received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. We should be committed to coming to church every opportunity we have. Other areas of commitment would be things like tithing and Bible reading. The fourth C is contentment. Contentment is defined as that degree of happiness which consists in being satisfied with present conditions. It is a quiet, uncomplaining, satisfied mind. Paul wrote about his attitude of contentment in Philippians 4.11 which says, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. When he wrote to his son in the gospel in 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 through 8, he said, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content." Another C that should follow conversion is compassion. In John 13, 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Furthermore, 1 John 4, verses 7 and 8 tells us, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. The sixth C should naturally spring from compassion, and that is compulsion. 
Our love for others ought to compel us to reach out and help one another. In his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 14, Paul wrote, For the love of Christ constraineth us. The word constrain means to urge, compel, or preoccupy. As you study the life of Paul, it's not hard to see that he was indeed preoccupied with serving the Lord and serving God's people. Consider what he said in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 28. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths off. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. In the very next chapter, the apostle said, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Why was Paul willing to endure such hardships? It's because the love of Christ had constrained him to do so. He felt compelled to serve the saints, and so should we. The final C I want to discuss is confession, which actually involves two distinct aspects. First, we should confess our faith. By that, I mean we ought to speak in faith, refusing to vocalize our doubts. Now, I'm not promoting name it and claim it, or as one man said, blab it and grab it. I'm just telling you to obey what Jesus commanded in Mark 11:23 when he said, "For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith." Solomon wrote in Proverbs 18.21, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. He also said in Proverbs 12.18 that the tongue of the wise is health. Moreover, Jesus issued a grave warning in Matthew 12.37, which reads, For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Jesus also told us in Luke 6.45, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. Our hearts should be filled with faith in God's word, faith in God's promises, and faith in God himself. If it is... Our mouths will openly confess that faith. 
And that faith, which begins in the heart and is expressed through the mouth, is the kind of faith that results in having whatsoever we say. Not only does confession involve faith, however, it also involves outreach. In the epistle to the church at Rome, chapter 10, verse 10, Paul wrote, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Remember that the book of Romans was not written to the lost. This passage is not telling people how to get saved. Rather, it's telling us one of the things required to stay saved. We need to be confessing to those who don't know the Lord what it takes for them to experience salvation. Consider how strongly Paul felt about his obligation to reach out to the lost. In Acts 20, verses 22 through 24, he said, And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. In the very next chapter, Luke wrote, And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, The will of the Lord be done. Now that's Acts 21, verses 10 through 14. Obviously, Paul felt so strongly about reaching the lost that even the prospect of losing his own life did not dissuade him from his pursuit. Paul, like the Lord Jesus, had one goal in life, to seek and to save that which was lost. What many people seem to overlook is that witnessing to sinners is one of the major reasons God fills us with the Holy Ghost in the first place. Consider Acts 1.8, which says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. The word witness in this verse, means one called upon to testify of things they have seen, heard, or have knowledge of. In other words, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to be a witness. You only have to tell what you yourself have experienced. Acts 4.20 says, For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. In Acts 22.15, Paul said that the Lord, through Ananias, had instructed him, Thou shalt be his witness unto all men 
of what thou hast seen and heard. Perhaps one of the best examples of this is found in John chapter 9. There we find the story of a man who had been born blind. Jesus had healed him, and the religious leaders were not happy about it. They called the man in to answer for what had taken place. After some discussion, they finally informed him that he should quit giving glory to Jesus because, in their estimation, Jesus was a sinner. They had arrived at this conclusion, by the way, based on their interpretation of the sacred scriptures. This man, not having been as well trained as those questioning him, gave them a simple yet profound response in John 9.25. He answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. He didn't try to argue the scriptures. He simply told them what he himself had experienced. That's all God expects of you. 1 John 1.3 says, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. Having covered the seven seas that lead up to conversion, the conversion experience, and now the seven seas that follow conversion, let me take just a few more moments and tell you about the final conversion. Remember that the word conversion actually means a transformation. And with that in mind, let me tell you that being transformed on earth is wonderful and necessary. But it's not all that God intends for us to experience. Even Apostle Paul wrote, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. That's 1 Corinthians fifteen nineteen. Obviously, there is another much more important transformation that awaits us. In Romans 8.23, we read, And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. The greatest conversion of all, the most tremendous transformation goes well beyond just changing our lives. It involves changing our mortal being into something far greater. You see, the infilling of the Holy Ghost is just a down payment on the transformation God is beginning in our lives. This is clearly stated in Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14, which identifies the Holy Spirit of promise as the earnest of our inheritance. The word earnest literally means a down payment or a pledge. By giving us the gift of the Holy Ghost, God is pledging that the process of conversion is not over, it's just beginning. We read about this final conversion in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 55, which says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. 
So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? John said in 1 John 3 and 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Oh, what a day that will be. No more sickness, no more suffering, no more death, and no more fears. No more sorrow, no more sadness, no more pain, and no more tears. That, my friend, is the final and greatest conversion of them all. As I bring this podcast to a close, I want to say that if you have questions about this or any other Bible subject, please feel free to contact me directly by sending an email to bishop at olathatruth.com. I would count it an honor to address your questions from the pages of Scripture. Also, if you live in Olathe or the Kansas City area and are interested in a free in-home Bible study, we would be honored to take you through the Word of God via Zoom or some other form of electronic media. These Bible studies only take one hour and, depending on the subject matter, range from one to twelve lessons. Again, my email address is bishop at olathatruth.com. Please let us know how we can help you. We want you to know that you are important to us and that we are praying for you, our listeners, on a regular basis. Thank you, Pastor Riggin. And thank you to everyone who has joined us for today's podcast. We want you to know that we are here to help you in any way we can. If there is anything we can do for you, please don't hesitate to contact us. Send your prayer request to prayer at olathetruth.com. That's prayer at olathetruth.com. If you live in the Kansas City metropolitan area, we invite you to join us for our services this week, Sunday morning at 10, Sunday evening at 6, and Tuesday evening at 7.30. For those who cannot attend, we will provide a live stream on our Facebook page, our YouTube page, our Twitter account, and our website, newlifepc.com slash listen. Until our next podcast, take care and God bless.